Hello and welcome to the Houston Vineyard Podcast. We sincerely hope that this message is a blessing to you. Enjoy. All right. Also, if you look like me, bring your sunscreen next week. I foresee a lot of rosy cheeks. It's going to be like high of 79. It's going to be nice, like a sweater on Easter. Um, I'm excited. I'm excited about next week. I'm excited about today, though. Um, It's Palm Sunday. This is always one of my favorite Sundays of the year, just because we get to wave the branches. Um, It feels like a ribbon dancer or something. Um, It's my inner worship dancer that gets to come out. Um, But today's Palm Sunday, and we are also wrapping up this series that we have been doing called Somos, which if you have not translated that yet, it means we are. And so we started early in this year talking about identity. We are made in the image of God. We're sons and daughters of God. We are friends of God, co-laborers. And then during this Lent season, we've, we've transitioned and we have been talking about letting go and picking up. So we are letting go of judgments. We're letting go of this illusion that we have built of perfection or um, whatever you want to call that. And then last week, Mike talked to us about taking on love, about preserving the unity of the body. And so today, as we wrap up, somos, um, we are, we're kingdom people announcing and welcoming the king. And so we're going to be in John 12 today, if you would like to turn to a familiar Palm Sunday passage. Um, but before we jump any further in, let's pray together. So Holy Spirit, you, you're already here, and so we say thank you. And I just ask that you would stay with us now as we, as we jump into the word. Lord, I ask that you would give us um, eyes to see and give us ears to hear. Give us hearts that are open to whatever it is that you have this morning for us. We say, we say yes. We say that we're ready. So thank you, Lord. We love you. Amen. All right. Well, John 12, I'm going to be starting in verse 12. But what I want to do is is set this up for us a little bit. Now, this Jesus entry into Jerusalem actually appears in all four of the Gospels. And the interesting thing is that each Gospel has a unique way of of presenting the story. Details might be in one that aren't in the other. Um, And so it's actually fun, and I've been playing with all of them this week and comparing and looking. And so I chose John partially because I'm the preacher today, and I love John. It reads to me like a story about my friend Jesus, and I feel um, connected to his story as I read John. And so I chose the John narrative for a number of reasons, but partially just because I love it. And so what I want to do is place this a little bit um, in context so we know where we are in the story. At least in John's gospel, just prior to this, he has raised Lazarus from the dead. And so if you know that story, you know how that goes. Jesus was called, hey, your friend, your dear, dear friend Lazarus is sick. Come, he needs your help. And so Jesus went but it wasn't fast enough, and Lazarus died. Was it fast enough, or was this all part of the plan? Okay, that's not for me to decide. But he got there, and Lazarus has already died. And so the sisters came out, and if you know the story, Jesus wept with them. 
And so we have this moment of deep connection and relationship, and we are reminded that Jesus is, in fact, human, and he had really dear friends. He had people. So he raises Lazarus from the dead, and that, along with all the other signs and wonders, began to really cause a ruckus, especially amongst the religious people. They were not happy because this Jesus was disrupting their order. They didn't like what he was doing. And so Jesus, it says that he, um, in verse 54 of chapter 11, just before this, it says Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the people of Judea. Instead, he withdrew to a region near the wilderness, to a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. So he had withdrawn knowing that things were getting dicey. People weren't liking what they were seeing. Well, certain people were loving what they were seeing, but the religious people were not excited. So then in chapter 12, Jesus goes to a dinner party in Bethany. They throw him a party. He's the guest of honor. Lazarus is there because when you are raised from the dead, you go to all the dinner parties and you eat all the things. Um, And so Mary and Martha was there. Martha was serving, um, still, still doing her thing. Oh, this is hanging. Okay, I'm going to take that off. Um, Martha is serving, and this is an amazing time when Mary takes out this, this special perfume, and she anoints Jesus' feet. So if you remember that, she pours it out. This was an incredibly vulnerable and extravagant act that happened around this table, and Jesus says, don't mess with her. Actually, she should save some of that for my burial. He's dropping hints. People still aren't getting it. And then we come up to this moment. So there, we're all on the same page. Okay, John 12, 12. It says, the next day, the great crowd. Okay, I want us to do an exercise. We're a year into COVID. And so some of us may have forgotten what a great crowd is. So take a moment. If you need to close your eyes, think about the rodeo. Think about lights in the heights. When was the last time you were like elbow to elbow with the public? Think about, I don't know, a sporting event, a concert. Are you there? Great crowd, no mask, elbows to elbows. Okay, let's read it again, now feeling it. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival, that's Passover, come for the festival, heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And they took palm branches, and they went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus up from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. So, it's a familiar story, but I want us to really take a little bit of time with it. And first, I want us to consider Jesus. I want us to consider Jesus, and then I want us to consider those who were around him. 
But let's think about Jesus. He's on this donkey, riding into Jerusalem. It's festival time. The people are going crazy. The noise, the smells, everything going on. Imagine what was on his mind as he rides in. As he saw the crowd growing, as he hears them shouting, shouting his name, shouting Hosanna. I wonder if there was a pit in his stomach. I wonder if he felt nervous or maybe grateful, maybe annoyed, maybe amazed. Was he able to take it all in? Can you think about some of the bigger moments in your life? And yet people always say, you know, make sure you take it all in. It's all a blur, like a big event, a graduation or a wedding or something. In my imagination, which is maybe different from your imagination, it was a very surreal moment. All the noise, all the chanting, all the smells, all the things, riding on the donkey. You see, Jesus knew what was going on. He knew what was happening. He knew what was written because this was all prophesied. He knew the significance of the moment. He knew that in six days the tone would shift drastically. He knew things would get ugly. But in humility and generosity, he went forward with the plan. One donkey step at a time, he rode into the city. So I imagine there was a lot going on inside of him. So I want us to think about the people who were there. I have three general groups to describe to us. The first are the festival people. And they are in town to party. It's party time, guys. It's festival. It's like they all came from the rural area, and they're all going to Jerusalem, and it's party time. And so there's food, and there's drink, and there's laughter. And again, get yourself in the mindset of a big crowd. Depending on how you like social settings, that might just be your worst nightmare. Or for some of you, it might really pump you up. Yeah, all the energy, you know, the country music. I'm thinking rodeo a little bit. Um, is that going to come back? Someday. Um, but you've got the festival people. And they are the ones who initially are shouting, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. That is straight up from Psalm 118. So they're not saying bad stuff. They're saying good stuff. Woo, woo, woo. But here's the interesting thing about the crowd. They are looking for a conquering ruler. They're looking for their hero. They're looking for their warrior king. They're recognizing something in Jesus. They are speaking the truth. He is indeed the king. But some of the expectations are probably a little bit off. They were shouting Hosanna, which can be translated, salvation now, save us. And salvation was indeed coming, but perhaps not exactly in the way that they imagined. So they halfway get it. But they were probably in for a shock later this week. It's interesting to notice some of the, like I said, Psalm 118. They pulled straight from the Psalms and they're shouting Hosanna. Let me look back at that. 
Psalm 118, 25 and 26 say, Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I wonder if any of them looked back at Psalm 118, 22. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. But the crowd, crowds, aren't, crowds aren't thinking about rejection and death. Crowds are thinking like, woo, salvation's coming. I also notice this Zechariah reference here in verse 15, back to John. John says, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. If you actually look it up in Zechariah, it says, rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. I was reading about that this week, you know. Some scholars are like, well, John just misquoted. Eh, He's not the kind of guy to misquote. He changed rejoice to don't be afraid. The people are rejoicing. This is the ruler. He's coming in. He's going to set things straight. He's going to take over the government. He's going to be strong, military power. But there's these little clues. There's these little clues. He's riding in on a donkey, which is like the dumbest of all the animals. He wasn't on a war horse. He wasn't on a camel. He was on a donkey. If they would have read the whole psalm, they would have, oh, this guy might get rejected. There's all these little clues, but crowds are just excited. And, and again, they didn't say anything incorrect. This is the king of Israel. But this expectation for salvation and the way that it was going to come about is probably going to be flipped on its head by the end of the week. So then we also have the disciples here. And so we know the disciples, Jesus inner circle. They had walked with him now. They had ministered with him. You know when you're with someone in a teaching situation and you've like heard them teach the same? You know like when we used to have first service and second service? If you listen to the sermon in first service, second service, you could get to critique. I mean the disciples, they had heard, they had been to first, second, like they had been to hundred services with Jesus. Like they'd heard all of his teachings. They had heard all of his stuff. They had watched him heal They had shared intimate moments together. Just, you know, in the chapter before, it said they had gone away, isolating themselves. They had spent face-to-face time with Jesus. He was their friend. He was their teacher. They even fetched the donkey for him. In the Matthew version of this, Jesus tells them, okay, go to this house and get a donkey. It's for this purpose. So they participated with. They weren't just random watchers. But even the disciples are not aware of the significance of the moment. And he's tried to tell them. And it says here that they would figure it out later. Verse 16, at first his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. So all is not lost. But even in the moment, even as close participants, they didn't fully grasp the significance of the story that they were in, that they were participating in. And then we have a final group that's mentioned down here in verse 17, and this, these are the Lazarus witnesses. It says, now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus up from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word, and many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So these people may not be like just festival people who are caught up in the excitement, who are looking for the ruler, king, 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 save, save, save us now. They're also not the disciples who had this in-depth relationship, who had spent time learning, participating with the teacher. These witnesses had seen something amazing. 
they had seen a miracle. They had seen Lazarus be raised up. And so they had something. They were holding on to something. And they're telling others. They're bearing witness to what they have seen. We may not know a lot about this guy, but he raised someone from the dead. So we're going to go find out. We're going to go meet him. So you see here we have a range. We have the curious. We have the the close friends, we have the, the random, we have the festival people, we have all of the in-between. But in all of these people, and all of the crowd, and all of the chanting, and all of the branches, and all of the stuff, Jesus is the only one here who fully understands what's actually happening. He's the only one here who knows the significance of the moment. And even though all of those out in the crowd knew something of him or wanted to be near him, he knew each one of them completely. And so I find this to be a very interesting moment. It's an interesting dynamic, this whole episode. And I'll tell you the truth, as I've sat with it this week, I've struggled with it some because on one hand, I'm like, okay, celebration, party, party, party. They kind of get it. They kind of don't get it. And I also know what's going to happen in six days. So this feels a little weird. It rubs me the wrong way. It's inauthentic, considering that some of these disciples will actually abandon Jesus by the end of the week, that some of these same people who are yelling salvation now are going to yell crucify him in six days. That rubs me the wrong way. And so I have struggled this week. But I think it also rubs me the wrong way because... I know myself, and sometimes I rub myself the wrong way. I'm not nearly as consistent as I would like to be. From the first of the week to the end of the week, I can be a total melted, I was talking to Sandy about it this week, just a melted pool of Megan on the floor. And so maybe I relate too much to the people in the story. I don't know. So here we are today. We have palm branches today. We've carried this tradition on. We wave the branches. We welcome the king. We're very excited about it. It's a good day to be at church. But I wonder, like, what does that mean? What does that mean for me? Is it real? Is it authentic? Do I know what I'm even asking for? Do I know what I'm saying? And the thing is, we do have more information than these people had, right? We know how this thing plays out. We know what the next six days hold. We know about the crucifixion and the burial and the resurrection and the ascension. We have more to the story. But yet in some ways we're still, you know, like Paul says, he says, but we still see but a dim reflection. Still sometimes I wonder if we actually get it, if we actually grasp it. More information doesn't always lead to transformation. And so I struggle. I struggle with my own inconsistency. I struggle with the whole picture. But this is where I landed with it this week, and maybe it will be somewhat of an encouragement to you. In spite of the inconsistency, in spite of the weird expectations, in spite of not fully even knowing what we're saying or what we're asking for all the time, it is still us. We are still the church and we are still the ones who announce the kingdom. We are still the ones who welcome in the king. Not a warrior king, but a servant king. We are imperfect people. We are wildly imperfect people welcoming and announcing a perfect king. And his perfect kingdom. 
even if we don't understand it all, even if we can't properly place ourselves in the story, even if I have no idea what the significance is of exactly what I'm doing right now, even if my expectations are off. In the Luke narrative of this Jerusalem entry, people are saying, Jesus, tell those people to quiet down. Tell them to stop shouting. And Jesus says in Luke 19, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. So despite my imperfection and despite my inconsistency, I still get to be one to announce the king. These people waved their branches. They shouted familiar songs with their words and their actions. They announced the king. They welcomed the king. And with our words and with our actions, we still welcome the king and announce the king. That's part of who we are as kingdom people. So I brought a story for you today, and I got pictures. It's very exciting, I know. So as I was considering this this week, like what does it actually look like to welcome the king, to announce the king? The person that I just couldn't get out of my head was my grandpa. It's my mom's dad, my Pappy Hendrix. He is no longer living, but I'll tell you a little bit about him. I actually brought a picture of myself. There's baby Megan. I thought I would bring a picture since we have kids up here today. You know, look at me in the 80s, looking good. Um, so it's my grandpa and my grandma sitting on his truck. It had a bumper sticker on it, that truck, and it said, love you, love you blue. Was that like a Houston thing, like an Oilers thing? Yeah. So, okay, let me tell you about these guys. These two... Um, they did not know Jesus until their mid-40s. They grew up, they had hovered around, you know, they had gone to a Sunday school here or there. They knew of church. Church was a good idea. They had my mom. They took her to a church when she was a baby in 1956, and they had a, you know, pastor or priest, you know, bless her, do something, because they thought, that's, that's good. You do that to babies. But they knew nothing of Jesus. They had no real faith to speak of. And my mom went to a crusade in downtown Houston in the early 70s and got saved and went home and told her parents and they laughed at her. They said, oh, you're crazy. You didn't need to do that. You didn't need to do that. We got you blessed when you were a baby. And she's like, but Jesus is alive. So my mom joined a church and started praying for her parents and they both came to faith. 1972, 73, they were baptized. I think I have their baptism pictures. I keep these in my office this is in a swimming pool in southeast Houston. That's my granny. And then I think my grandpa is up there too. There he is. Woo. So they came to faith in the early 70s. They at the time were in their 40s. Whole life transformed. Whole life transformed. Their marriage had been pretty bad. They were both caught up in some addictions and various, various things. And they experienced... Crazy deliverance. A lot of Holy Spirit. This was like charismatic Jesus time. So they were at this little charismatic church down by Hobby Airport. It doesn't exist anymore. Um, but they were like experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit, just like overcome. And the thing about them is that they never lost this zeal. They both lived into their late 80s. And something about that just transforming love, encounter with Jesus, they never lost this zeal and passion. And anyone that they met at any time, they weren't obnoxious. It just oozed out of them because they had been so transformed. And I was thinking this week, this is like what made me think of it. 
at their house in Houston, um, and I was calling my mom, because I don't have a picture of this, but there was a big, my grandpa, he worked at Goodyear, you know, down by the port, but his hobby, he was an incredible craftsman. He could build anything out of wood. He, I have stuff in my house that he's built. Um, he could fix anything. He was one of those people with, like, no education who was just, like, a genius. And so he had this big sign on his workshop um, at their house in Houston, and it said, the king is coming. And I was like, Mom, did Papa have a sign that said the king is coming? She's like, oh, yeah, he did. When he got his router saw, that's the first thing he made. And I was like, okay. Um, and she was like, everybody who came by our house, walking down the street, because it was behind the carport so you could just see it, mailman, anybody, any, the king is coming. And that sign stayed up there until they retired and they moved to rural Arkansas. And he made a new sign for his wood shop. I do have a picture of this one. He changed his message can't really see it. Jesus is Lord. He also made the doves. He loved to make doves with his, with his saw. Um, so he loved to announce the kingdom literally um, with his woodworking. I actually, I have one more. This, this one's in my house, his, my little Jesus. I actually have a lot of stuff that he made, but that's my fire of the Holy Spirit, 70s Jesus that he made. Um, and it sits up on my thing wherever I live. But here's the thing. He did use his talents and his fancy saw to make a lot of Jesus signage. Um, but these, their lives just announced the kingdom in the way that they lived. They were generous people. They were kind. They loved God's word, and they would just devour it. And they would just talk with you or talk with any, literally anyone that you met. You needed a few minutes if you ever met them. But there was just this thing about this transformed life that just oozed out of them. And... I don't know if it's because they had a more dramatic story, but there was something about their lives that just announced the kingdom. They were kingdom people, probably more than anyone I've ever known in my life. And so I think about us, about this invitation, because I think it is an invitation to be a people who announce and who welcome the king and who welcome the kingdom. Because we are marked by this. We are citizens of the unshakable kingdom of God. This is who we are. And part of our privilege is getting to announce it and show people what that is. And so just real quickly, I thought of a few things. Um, announcing the kingdom with words and with actions. First of all, we got to keep worshiping. One of our takeaways, I think I've heard a lot of people mention this especially during like COVID time, when the first time they come back here, some of you are here for the first time um, in a year, welcome. Um, but there's something about hearing the voices, you know, not that couch church isn't great, love you guys who are at home, um, but there's something about corporate worship that's really good. Um, and so we have to keep gathering, and this isn't like a guilt to come back if you're not ready, come back when you're ready, but, but there is something about gathering, about singing about the word, about prayer. Corporate worship exists for a reason. It's part of what we do as kingdom people, gathering, reminding ourselves of the story, reminding of us of who God is, shouting his praise, and then going out, because isn't that what we go do the same? Taking that out. And so we continue to gather. I'm also struck by the importance of table fellowship here. One of the things that really kind of stood out to me as I was studying this this week is that this passage has a very important dinner 
right before it and a very important dinner right after it. There are very significant things that happen around the table. When Jesus is anointed at Bethany, like I mentioned, the Mary poured out this, per- this perfume, and it was a sign. It was a sign of his burial and of his resurrection. And, and even just that act, that was an act of worship, making herself vulnerable, this extravagant gift that she was pouring out on Jesus. And that happened at a dinner party. That didn't happen here. And then just in a couple of chapters, Jesus is going to sit with his disciples. He's going to wash their feet. He's going to like pour out his heart to them. Look at all these red letters. He's going to break the bread and say, this is my body. And he's going to pour the wine and he's going to say, this is my blood. That happened around the table. And so I think part of what we do as kingdom people and part of announcing and welcoming the kingdom is to continue to gather around the table. And for some of you this year, your table has been very small. I live alone. Dinner party for one. Um, but I do have, I got people, so I, I, I have the great joy and privilege of gathering around the table with some friends. And some of you have families at home, some of you have a quarantine group. But I would encourage you, as things open up, as things become more safe and accessible, have a dinner party and talk about kingdom things. It doesn't have to be like a Bible study, make it fun. But gather around the table, and it, it doesn't have to be fancy. You can just, like, grill out burgers. Um, I will have mine without a bun. Um, gluten-free. But I would encourage you to gather around the table. Laugh. Enjoy yourselves. Don't go too fast. And tell kingdom stories. Remind one another of who God is. There might be people at the table who don't know Jesus. The table is a great place to share who God is, and what he's done. Don't give up doing that. And then finally, and the team can come on back up because I'm wrapping us up, but, but really what we remember here is that our whole lives are worship. Our whole lives are announcements of this king and the kingdom. And so... That goes for you on an individual basis. Like, I love it that my grandpa used his gifts. He was a woodworker, and so he announced the kingdom with his crafts. And everybody who came to his house knew that. Um, And it started conversations, and he thought it was fun. Um, I don't work with wood, but I do other things. And you all have reach, and you all have gifts, and you have talents, and you have relationships in this city, and you're part of running clubs, and various things that sound fun or not fun. Your kids are out there playing the little league and stuff. Anyway, you have relationships, you have talents, you have gifts, you have reach. Your life is an announcement of the kingdom. And that's not like a pressure thing. That's like a privilege thing. Wow! And I would say that it's, a, it's an individual thing because you go to where you go and you have your relationships and you use your gifts and you're generous and you bless people, but it is also a corporate thing. We announce the kingdom in how we live with one another. And for an excellent sermon on that, listen to last week. <laughs> but when we live together in love and in unity, when we prefer one another above ourselves, we are announcing the kingdom. That is a sign to people that I have been marked by this thing and it has 
completely changed my life. And so the way that I live with you, the way that I interact with you is a sign. We know that the kingdom of God is here and we know that the kingdom of God is coming. And we are pointing people toward that. We tell the story, we prepare the space, we welcome the king. And so no matter how imperfect you come into this, for I am the most imperfect of them all, um, you can still wave your branch, you can still shout Hosanna, salvation now. In fact, I wanna shout Hosanna a lot this week. Because we are very imperfect, but the king and his kingdom are perfect. And they are coming. And they are here. And our whole lives point toward that. That's who we are. So if you're here, let's stand. Let's respond and worship. Let your kingdom come among us. Let your glory show your goodness here on earth, God, as in heaven. There is power in your presence. Let your kingdom come.
says your life announces the kingdom and here at the Houston Vineyard we believe that God's kingdom grows through faith faith in the life death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that's how kingdom grows it's not through our own works so that not anyone should boast but through faith in the one who came and ushered in this new kingdom, this new covenant. So listen to this. If you're here for the first time or second or third, or if you've always been around church, but you've never experienced kingdom faith for salvation, if you're watching online and you don't know if you're part of this kingdom, all it takes is belief, is faith in the death, life, and resurrection of Christ our Lord. Listen to me. I have the privilege today to announce to you that it is Jesus who saves, and it is Jesus who redeems, and it is Jesus who sees you. And here at the Houston Vineyard, you are loved by God. You're invited to freedom from your sin, from oppression. And you are positioned through faith to be a blessing in your own life. Romans 10, 9, 10 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. So if you are here, if you're online and you've never made a prayer out loud with your mouth, with your voice coming out of your throat that you can hear yourself, just do it today with me and just say, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Please forgive me. Lord, I believe that you are the Son of God, that you died for me and rose again. I believe that that is how we announce your kingdom, through faith. Save me. Accept me. Teach me. And everybody said, amen. Amen. That is how kingdom advances. So welcome. Welcome to the family and get in touch with us and we will help you as far as we can through this process. We gather before service and we pray together. There's a, and there's this expectancy that we know that God wants 
to speak to us as individuals and he wants to do things for us. And so there's a, a list of things that we felt like God was speaking. And if it's you, we, we'd love for you to realize that God sees you and knows you. But if you're online and, and there's something that's burdening you and you'd like to prayer, there's a, a link for prayer. In a minute here, we're going to continue to worship a bit and, and we'll let those of you that need to go and get kids and do everything do so. But we're going to spend some time here. And if you'd like prayer, just slip a hand up and somebody will come pray for you. But this is some of the things we felt that God might be speaking for you today. And somebody that feels that there's a place they need to be. They know there's a, there's a place I need to be, and they are tunneling, they are digging, they are trying to get there, and God is saying, I'm working with you, and I am dissolving those things that you are also working on, that it's so that you know that it's not all about what you can do. There's also this sense of somebody wearing two different socks. Everybody have that moment where you show up somewhere and you're like, nope, that was wrong. And, and God wants you to know that that he's paired with you and then it makes sense. You might not see how these things make sense, the two different socks, but because you're paired with him, it makes sense. It's also an invitation to slow down. I, I know that we're, there's this, I can just tell by the traffic that people are anxious to get back out into life. You know, a year without traffic and all of a sudden it's like, I'm reminded what traffic is and I'm not a fan. And there's, a, there's an invitation to slow down and not rush to get back into things that we wanted or life the way it used to be, but to savor the moments of newfound freedom, of ability to connect, of exploring life outside of our four walls for a little bit. And also, this is sort of that allergy season. And allergies, like I can, you can see it on your car, but you don't see it in the air, but it affects you. It feels like there's, this is a season that like the presence of God is all around us and we can't necessarily see what it's doing, but if we actually take time to recognize, it's having an effect on us. And so to, to take time to acknowledge that his presence is thick, it's everywhere, and that it is affecting us in such a beautiful way. There's also that, a, a, an idea that faith is dawning, that there is hope coming for some of you that really need it. And then physically, somebody's struggling with an Achilles injuries, somebody's having some nerve issues, and somebody's battling some cognitive issues that are new and scary. God sees you and he wants to touch you and be close to you and bring healing. What I love about the story of Palm Sunday is that everybody was celebrating. And if you were me in that story, I would probably be looking around assessing the veracity of people's celebrations. And then I would look in the hindsight of the people that celebrated and then, and then denied. And I would make all sorts of constructive criticism points to share Happy with celebrating. Them. Happy celebration. What I love about the consistency of this story is that there's only one unchanging factor in that story then and this story now, and it's Jesus. Yes. So what it does is it gives us the freedom to celebrate and recognize and call out his coming, regardless of the authenticity of the person beside us doing the same thing. We don't have to worry about it because it doesn't matter. The only consistent thing is Jesus. And he was consistent then 
and he's consistent now. Yes. So as we go and celebrate and announce the coming of Jesus, we get to care very little about the authenticity of those around us doing the same. We get to focus on the unchanging person and work of Jesus. Yes. So as you do that, this is our prayer. May the living God, que el Dios vivo, creator of all the heavens and the earth, creador del cielo y de la tierra, may he richly bless you and keep you. Que él te bendiga y te guarde. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Que él haga su rostro resplandecer sobre ti y te dé su gracia. May he smile on you and fill you with his peace. Que Dios mismo te sonría y te dé su you have been and continue to be extravagantly loved by our Father. Ha sido siempre y sigue siendo hoy extravagantemente amado por tu Padre Celestial. Go do the same. Ve y haz lo mismo. Have a great week of worship. We're going to settle back in for a little bit of time of worship led by the team. If you need to go, do so quietly. Online, you can stick around. We'll leave this running for you. God bless you guys. Parents, go get your kiddos.